0: You know let let's just uh, picture this let's just say that you have a disease that's really it's incurable and it's it's deadly and you have months to live but you hear about a clinic and so you immediately go to the clinic and they're able to through a course of uh, treatment be able to cure you completely and you have no side effects at all I mean you're completely cured and you're just like wow that's just absolutely amazing. And let's say that you, maybe you're at a Super Bowl party and you run across somebody and, and you start talking to them and you realize they have the same thing that you just got cured, cured of. I mean, exactly. What would you do? Well, I wouldn't want to pry into their lives and tell them where they could go and get cured because that would be kind of, you know, I mean, pushing my my ideals on them. You wouldn't do that. You would say, absolutely. you say, hey, listen, I got a number of this clinic. You got to talk to this, this doctor. They cured me completely. Their, their rate is 100% complete. You have to go there. I mean, just do it, you know. And you know what? What we're talking about here is if you've been cured of something, if you've been set free from some, of, of something, you basically want other people around you, especially people you love and you care about, to be set free too because you feel like Something great has happened in your life. And essentially, that's what evangelism is. It's sharing what has happened to you to other people. It's sharing how you've been set free so that other people around you can be set free. And that's a positive example. A negative example or a warning mode is, let's just say you're at the top of a mountain and all of a sudden you're walking in and, and you see like brake fluid just pouring <laughs> underneath a car. And you're a mechanic and you know it's brake fluid. Okay, work with me here, all right? Well, what does brake fluid look like? Uh, <laughs> all right, so the brakes are gone. And you see this lovely family kind of piling out, going in, getting in their car, and they're going to go down the road. And you go, yeah, they'll never make it. They're going to go off the, probably a second or third cliff, my guess is, okay, and go to a fiery death. And you, you go, yeah, that, that's, that, that's got to stink. No, you, you, you go, hey, you know, I'm... I'm thinking that puddle under your car isn't good. I don't think your brakes are going to work. Don't get in the car. You're dead if you do, right? And so in a sense, that's essentially what, what we're talking about. And sometimes we get really excited and we get too excited and we get in somebody's face and we say, you're going to die. You're going to die. And they go, you're nuts. You're nuts. You, know? and you go, okay, that didn't work. You know? But really evangelism is about helping other people know who Jesus is and what He's done for you and warning them that uh, if if they don't turn then there's danger and and so essentially that's really what we're up to and and so when you think of the word evangelism sometimes we think well does it all depend upon me i mean really and and the answer is no and that's what this message is all about that it's not all up to you um and you, you would say, well, you know, if I'm sharing my faith, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm new in the faith, or maybe I'm not new in the faith. Maybe I've known, but I just don't feel confident. I don't know if I'll know the answer to the people's... If, if a person, a family member, friend, coworker has a question, will I be able to answer that question? I, I just don't know. And, and, you know, here's what I would say. It, you know, especially if you're like a new believer and you say, well, how do I share and what do I say and I don't know very much... You know, there's this woman that Jesus met at the well, a woman at the well, and uh, he shared with her. And she was so excited, she ran back into town. And then the whole, basically the whole town came out. I want to read you uh, the, the results of that. In John, found in John chapter 4. I think you have it in, in your, uh, your bulletin. And it says this. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I did. Okay, that was her her witness. Hey, you got to meet this guy. He told me everything I did. you got to meet this guy. He's something else. I mean, that was it. I mean, there's not a lot of doctrine in that. And and it says, when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So they stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, now notice what they say because it's really interesting. Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard it, heard him ourselves. Now we know that he is indeed the savior of the world. What the woman do, all she did, and that's really what evangelism is, pointed them to Jesus. I use the phrase, and I I think it's really the best way to think of evangelism. It's one beggar who was starving, who found bread and said, I found bread here. You should go look. And that's essentially what it is. It's helping people do that. And you don't have to have a lot of knowledge. You just have to say, I found bread, and here's where I found it. If you're hungry, by the way, Jesus calls himself what? The bread of life, right? And so that's essentially what we're doing. Now, some people say, well, let, listen, Pastor, I know you're not, you're, <laughs> there is a spiritual gift of evangelism in here. I read it somewhere in the New Testament or I heard some pastor talk about it. And I'm pretty sure I don't have the spiritual gift of evangelism. So that means off the hook, right? No, not really. Um, You know, some people definitely are gifted, but we're all called, we've all been called to be part of what God has called His church to do and help other people know who Jesus is. So in a sense... You know, you'd say, "Well, Pastor, you have the—I don't have the gift of evangelism, as far as I know, I don't. (laughs) But uh, I will share the gospel with people, and I have. And so, you know, what we want to do in this series is we want to take it away from this whole, you know, white knuckled. I don't, you know, I just—I feel like I'm trying to sell people something they don't want, and you know, and just show you kind of what your role is and how you can better share the gospel." The first passage I want to look at is uh, Matthew chapter 5. I know it's in your notes. Let me read you this passage. I think I read it to you last week, but let me read it again. You are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead... A lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, this is where Jesus pulls both of these illustrations together. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. So here's the first principle that I want you to understand about evangelism. That you must earn a right to be heard. And you know what? Sometimes Christians, we are our own worst enemies. We really are. We, we, you know, E. Stanley Jones was a missionary, and he, he, he asked Gandhi, Mahatma Gandhi, and he said, though you quote the words of Christ often, why is it that you appear so adamantly to reject Him and follow Him? And here's what he said. Gandhi's reply was clear. Oh, I don't reject Christ I love your Christ, it's just that so many of you Christians are so unlike your Christ. And what Gandhi was pointing out is something that is absolutely true. That we are talking a bigger game than we're really bringing to the field. We are saying that we're we're much more righteous than we really are demonstrating. And people are looking at us and saying, wait a minute. You're telling me you have something that's important. You're telling me that you, uh, you have bread and you're, you look like you're starving. You don't seem to be much different than me. I don't think you have anything to say to me. We've compromised ourselves so much that we don't have a voice. And I'm just saying to us that we don't have a right to speak to anybody until we're willing to live the way Christ has called us to live. And sometimes that includes hard choices. And in this this passage, what Jesus is saying is that if you're truly living your life as light and salt, then people will notice it. The difference will be noticed. Now, what do we mean by that? What do we mean by living like salt and light? It means you're living a life that's so beautiful that when it comes in contact with our dark world, the beauty of our life shines out like a beacon. And, and it preserves the world around us. It begins to show the darkness for what it is. What I mean by that is this. When you live like a Christian, our very presence will reveal dishonesty. When you're at work, dishonesty will be revealed in the workplace because you won't put up with it. You won't be part of it. You'll show, you'll show up for work on time. You won't steal. You won't cut corners. You won't cheat the company. You won't deal dishonestly. You won't gossip about others in the office. Your whole demeanor is different than everyone else. You won't fit in. You just, you'll just you find yourself saying, I can't do that, I can't participate in that, I can't allow that. And, and, and that, that, that's what we're talking about. In our community, when we start living as Christians, sexism will be revealed. Racism will be revealed. Corruption will be revealed. Promiscuity will be revealed. Uh, and it'll be revealed not by us pointing fingers at others that are promiscuous, but us living a life that's not promiscuous. And that's where it comes in. Because, you know, in a recent poll, uh, it was just this last month, in, uh, it was the t- 2014 State of Dating in America. And it was uh, published by Christian Mingle and J-Date. Now, I haven't been on the Christian Mingle site. You know, uh, I don't linger on those sites. But... <laughs> But no, now get this. And, and so the point we're trying to see is what I'm saying here is that we're to be salt and light. And the way that we earn a right to be heard is that we're living lives that are morally pure. Right? And so, Christian mingle. 61% of Christians say they would have sex before marriage. Okay, now... I know our, our, our culture, our pop culture says, hey, don't worry about it. I get that. I understand where we're living. I'm not a prude. I understand that. But what I'm saying is, the Scripture does not allow that. It's, it's not acceptable in Scripture. Whatever you want to say, you could say, well, our culture has found it acceptable. Well, that's fine. But if you're going to be salt and light, part of it is you say, that's not acceptable for me. I don't live that way. Uh, get this, 56% said it was appropriate to move in with someone after dating for a time between six months and two years this is a christian dating site now again i don't know where the people are at but i'm just saying to you we wonder and so then we come to them and they say i want to tell you about the most important news i've ever heard and you go really <laughs> i'm not sure that i want it <laughs> you know but see here this is the point when you live like a christian Your life has a has an order and it's got a purpose to it. You handle pressure different. You don't you don't have to go to uh, alcohol or drugs or other things. You can handle criticism. Uh, You just you just you live different. You're you're wired differently. God begins to do a work in you and you change. And those of you that have come to know Christ and many of us have here, we understand what it means. You know when 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 we get criticism, yeah, it hurts. But we know when the when our Father in heaven, the God of the universe, says. I love you, you're acceptable, you're precious. Then we say, now it really doesn't matter what other people say because he said it all, right? It's like you as a parent or an older person walking outside and having a six-year-old say, you're dumb. And you go home and you said, your wife, you look down, what's wrong? A little boy just told me I was dumb. She said, really? What's wrong with you? You know, you you go, oh, what (laughs) does this kid know, you know? i got the God of the universe that says I'm not dumb, right? And, And so when you understand the Scripture and who you are, you walk around different. When we live like Jesus, though, His beauty will show up in our relationships. When we're salt and light, our lives will be characterized by holiness, sexual purity, generosity, compassion, forgiveness, hope, love, and many other things. It just will show up. And what will be the result when we start living as salt and light? They will look past us. Now, yeah, I get it. Some people will say, oh, goody-good. I know this. I absolutely know this because it's happened to me multiple times where people say, well, you think you're better than me. You know, I have family members that, say that said that. Uh, uh, you know, I, I remember my brother Pat coming home. You can edit my brother's name out. But, but I remember him coming to know Jesus and he came home. And he said with a straight face at dinner, we all sat down at dinner, he said, I just want you to know you're all going to hell. It wasn't well received, to say the least. <laughs> but but there is a point where when you start living a Christian life, Pete, you don't even you may not have even said a word to anybody, and all of a sudden you think you're so great. You say, No, I don't. I think I'm forgiven, but I know I'm not great. You know, that's a big difference. But that's the salt and light, hopefully. It's not your, you know, snide comments and remarks and saying that they're going to hell and all that stuff. But the point here is this. When you start living the Christian life, when you start living a salt and light, they, won't, they will come to you and they will say, I see hope in you. I see uh, uh, love in you. I see forgiveness in you. I see you holding your head up when everything else tells you to put your head down. I see you walking in, in, in joy and happiness. I see you just thriving and... and, and even though you've gone through difficult things, you, you just have a way about you. What is going on? And, and what happens is they look past you because they know it's not you. They know there's something within you. And they know and they'll, they'll look to God. They will glorify your Father in heaven. So the first thing is you have to earn a right to be heard. Secondly, we must embrace our role on the team. So notice the passage from Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 3. I planted, Apollos, who was another teacher, watered. This is Paul speaking. But God gave the growth. So Paul saying, I planted seeds. Apollos watered the seeds I planted. But it was ultimately God who gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor. For, our, for we are God's fellow workers, you are God's field, God's building, God's building. According to the grace of God given to me, like a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, someone else is building on it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. For no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Here's what I want you to see from this passage. A couple of things. Number one, you're not alone, you're part of a team. You're not alone. You're part of a team. So you're not out there alone trying to bring everyone to Christ. It's not all, it's not all up, up to you, and it's not all on you, because it's very clear here that it's God who turns a person's heart. You can, you can prepare soil. You can plant seeds. You can um, water the seeds. But in the end, it is going to be God who brings the increase. And so it's God who's going to move in a person's life, not you. That's why I always say it's the most important thing, the best thing you could ever do for another person that doesn't know Jesus is pray for them. And ask God to work in their heart. That, that really is the most important thing you could ever do. Evangelism, what I'm saying, is a team sport. And we all play a significant role in that. But the amazing thing about that is this, that for some reason, God has chosen to use us. Somebody asked me a few weeks ago, and I've been asked this question a number of times. Well, why doesn't God just, once we become Christians, just take us right up to heaven? Because frankly, you know, I mean, what's the point? The point is there are other people that need to be taken up to heaven. And God has called us to be His hands, His feet, His mouthpieces, His way of bringing, people to, bringing the gospel to people. He uses us. And it's crazy. But it's Him, it's He that does the transformation in their lives. It's not us notice the example paul planned, or uh, uh, paul planted the seeds apollos watered them. god is the one who brought the growth now we all play different roles here's what i found i found that what i do many times is i play a role some and think about how you're how you're how you became a christian it's i'm not making an assumption everyone in this room is a christian all right so if you're here and you say i don't know if i am or not okay understand that but let's just say as a follower of Christ, those of you that say, I am a follower of Christ, just think about the different people that played a role in your life. It may be a message you heard. It may be a friend that, that answered a question. It may be somebody who came to you in a time where you were going through a very difficult time. And they just became a very close friend and helped at that point. Here's what I found I found. That in my life, as I've been dealing with people, sometimes we have, there's orbits and we kind of join an orbit for a period of time and then go away. And it may be that I'm just there for a period of time in a person's life. And, and, and oftentimes it's not long, long term. Sometimes it's to answer a question. Sometimes it's just to be there in a, in a difficult time for a person. Sometimes it's, it's to just actually share the gospel. Sometimes it's, like I said, plant seeds, sometimes it's to water, sometimes it's to prepare soil. There's, there's a whole bunch of things. But the harvest is always dependent upon God. And until God turns the heart, nothing changes. Now, the question you ought to ask, and this is really important, is wh- whoever you're dealing with, if you're dealing with a, a friend or a neighbor or a, a coworker or a family, uh, you know, just anyone around you, a colleague, is where are they at spiritually? I mean, there, there are some people that... There's a scale I think I have. Uh, well, you'll have a slide. There it is. And, and, and I think this is helpful to think about. Some people are adamantly opposed to God. They don't even, you can't even begin to talk to, about them to God. They don't, they, they don't believe in God. They're, 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 may, they may be naturalists. They may just reject the whole concept of God. Uh, you may call them a minus 10. They're far, you know, they're far away from God. You may have other people that say, well, God is irrelevant. a Nietzsche, you know, maybe they're along long minus nine or something. And you may say uh, uh, somebody is a minus seven or something. They're angry with God because they asked God for something, maybe to heal a parent or a friend or a, somebody, and God didn't heal them. So they're angry with God, and, and but yet... They're not totally closed. How can you be angry with somebody who doesn't exist, right? So, so there is this, this, un, this, this, this below the surface, I'm angry at this person, so he must exist because I really can't be angry if there's no person to be angry with. So in a sense, they may be a minus seven or something like that, okay? So then... You may have somebody who just, maybe they're a minus four, and they just, you know, I, I, I kind of believe in God, but I have these questions, you know. I'm not really sure about this, and I, if, I've never really heard a good answer to this question, and, and maybe you're going to be the person that's going to answer that question for them or help them get through that answer. Um, and then maybe you get a person who's a minus one and, and they're saying, you know what, I, I, I don't really have any big questions, but I don't really know how to trust Christ. I mean, I hear people talk about being born again and trusting Christ and, and all that, but I don't know how to do that. And maybe you'll, you'll, your orbits will merge together and, and all of a sudden you'll say, well, I could tell you how to do that. You know, and, and so you'll have an opportunity and you'll lead them what we call cross the line of faith. And and they'll step in from one kingdom to the other, the Bible says, from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of the light. And they'll call upon the Lord, the Bible says. Whoever calls upon the Lord shall be saved. And so you'll have the opportunity of doing that. But you know what? We don't always get the opportunity to do that. Um, and then you get to the plus one because they've crossed the line and maybe you'll help them in their baby steps as a christian and a plus five and and so i I love that scale because then when you think of yourself as part of the team but you also think of yourself as the person is in a journey they're in a process and so you can join them wherever you are and the first thing the most important thing i think is to assess where are they and if they're at a minus eight Maybe what your job isn't to lead them to a plus one. <laughs> maybe your job is to help them from a minus eight to a minus seven, right? That's your job. Just get them from a minus eight to a minus seven. And 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 maybe you're only going to have enough time to do that. Maybe you'll have time to walk with them all the way. I don't know. But the point is, when you understand that, then you understand how God works in people's lives and how he brings you along. And so this scale, hopefully, would be helpful for you to understand uh, how to do that. So the first thing to do is think about where a person is at and what you can bring and how... Because I believe God brings you together in those relationships sovereignly so that you can have a a positive influence on their lives. And so when you see that, you realize I don't have to do everything because I'm not doing everything. And, And I realize God is helping me and God is equipping me and God is going to help me with this person you know and so we do that so knowing where they uh where they are is very helpful um so here's here's i want to summarize we need to do our part and we need to be ready peter says uh be ready to give an answer about those who ask about the hope that's within you so number one you have to live a life that they even come asking right and number two, you need to be ready because they may say, hey, you know, I see something different. What's going on in your life? You say, well, let's talk about it. Where, where are you at spiritually? What do you think about God? What you, tell me about your spiritual journey. Where do you think you're at? And Begin a converse, spiritual conversation and, and you can assess, hey, th- it sounds like you're, th- this is an area. And, yeah, yeah. And, and you'll be able to do that. So now what I want to do here is why don't you take the napkin and no, we're not going to serve cookies. So, all right. So... What I wanna do is give you each week one way that you can help a person. I'm sorry, I'm just coming to, I think either the beginning or the end of a cold right now. And it's just kinda of popping out right now. Um, so uh, what I wanna do in the next four weeks is just give you four different ways that you can share the good news, okay? So, the, so this is a drawing class, so it's gonna be like my art class when I was in, in uh, elementary school, with Mrs. Steinbrenner. Um, and she would draw very nicely, and I would butcher it up. So we're going to butcher away here. So we're going to draw. So here's, here's the first principle, okay? There's four principles. Principle number one is God loves you, and he has a wonderful plan for your life. Okay? That's the first principle. Now, there were kids, guys, in, when I went to Bible school, and they used to use this as a pickup line with girls. And they used to say, God loves you, to a strange girl, you know, strange to them. They thought he was strange, but the, this is where I process too much. They would walk up and they would say, God loves you, and I have a wonderful plan for your life, right? <laughs> yeah, put that one away. It, it didn't work. <laughs> all right, so the first thing you're going to do is you're going to draw a person, all right? So just, just a basic stick figure Nothing big, nothing great. And, you know, this represents, see, this is how bad of a drawer I am. I actually did much better last night, but that's all right. Don't worry about it. So this is, this is you or us or a person. All right. Okay. So there we are, right? So, and God's plan is that we would have this abundant, full life, right? because the scripture says this the scripture says in john 3 16 for god so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life john 10, 10 says i came that they may have life and might have it more abundantly jesus says i want you to have abundant life but here's the problem we don't experience abundant life you know And you were to, if you were to ask people say are you experiencing like the, that abundant life they say no you know I, I don't really think i am So let's put God up here. I I like to put a triangle just to represent God, the Trinity. You know, and there's nothing theological. I mean, it is theological, but I'm just, you know, that's the way I draw it. You don't have to put the triangle if you don't want. So God says, I love you. I have a wonderful plan for you. I want you to live an abundant life. And you go, but I'm not really living that abundant life. Why isn't that? So that's, that's principle number one. Principle number two is... The reason we're not experiencing that, that abundant life is because we are sinful and separated from God. And therefore, we can't know and experience God's love, and we can't know his pl- the plan for our lives. So there's kind of this separation that's going on between God and us. So the problem is, we, we have sin, and God is holy, Right? So there's sin that separates us. And that's our first verse that we're going to memorize this month. And it's an easy one. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23. We all fall short. And there's not one of us that does right. There's not one. And so we all fall short. And then Paul says in Romans, not only are we all sinful, but we're all separated. It says in Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death. It doesn't mean physical death. It, It means that, but it means more than that. It means separation. It means eternal separation. For the wages of sin is eternal separation from God. The idea there is now we have this separation between us because of sin and because God is holy. Now what man does in this situation is he tries to reach God. So we try in different ways to reach God. And, you know, the, the common ways that we reach God is, number one, religion. We follow the rules and regulations of religion. Or we'll try to live a good life, you know. We'll try to live the good life and just be good to people and be nice and play fair and all that stuff. Or we'll compare. We compare ourselves with others. We say, well, I'm, I'm not perfect, but I'm better than such and such. I want to just say to you that the vast majority of people that live in this community are living right here. They're living right here. They try to reach up, but here's the problem. None of these works. They all fall short. So that brings in principle number three. That Jesus is the only provision for man's sin, for our sin. And that through Him, we can know experience God's love and God's plan. So what happened is, Because we couldn't reach heaven, and this will never get us to heaven, God came down as a rescue party of one. And we know him to be Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ not only lived a perfect life, but he gave his life for us on the cross. And on the cross, he died for our sins. He died in our place. He took our place. And and Romans 5.8 says, God demonstrates his love in this, that Christ... Died for our sins. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for our sins. Romans 5.8 And then He rose from the dead. 1 Corinthians 15 it says He didn't just die, He's alive. And 1 Corinthians 15, parts of it say Christ died, uh, uh, Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He was raised on the third day. According to the Scriptures, He appeared uh, to P- Peter and then to the twelve. And Romans... Uh, or excuse me, 1 Corinthians 15 says that. And then... Uh, we, we understand Jesus when he was on earth said he was the way to God. And he said in John fourteen six, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me, through the cross. Okay? And so through it it's through his sacrifice that we come to him. Now, the third third law of the fourth law is this it's not enough just to know this. You can know this information all day long. The devil knows this information. And so there has to be some sort of movement. There has to be some sort of response on our part. We have to respond. And so we must individually receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. And then we can know and experience God's love and God's plan. And that's where uh, we need to personally do that. John one twelve says, As many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God even to those who believe in His name. So we have to take a, a step of trust. And it's not an emotional moment. And I know a lot of times we make rallies and it's an emotional thing. And, and our, I know our emotions are engaged in that, but it has to be a, a, a decision. The verse that uh, really was powerful in my life is we receive Christ through faith. Ephesians 2.8 says, For by grace are you saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. And I was taught... It was by works, you know, or being good enough. And it says not by works, it's by what he did. It's not by what we're doing, it's by what he's done. And so when we understand that, by the way, verse 10 says, for we are God's masterpiece. We are, his work. We are created in God for his work. We are his workmanship. And so God has a plan for us. He has a purpose for us. And we fulfill that purpose when we don't just respond by... Um, an emotional experience or just agree you know intellectually agree we have to make a commitment we have to decide we have to choose and so there's a point where you know at some point you say have you ever made that decision have you ever chosen have you ever asked jesus to come into your life have you ever called upon the lord and so then uh there's a prayer and i want to pray that prayer right now and uh you can just close your eyes and bow your heads And you may be here this morning, and maybe you have never trusted Jesus as your Savior, and you say, I don't know how to. Well, this is the gospel you've just heard, and I'm going to pray a prayer. The prayer. There's nothing really special about the prayer other than it's an opportunity for you to express your decision. And if you've never prayed to receive Christ, you can, in your own heart, in your own quiet heart and mind, you can say these words. Lord Jesus, I need You. Thank You for dying on the cross for my sins. I invite You into my life, and I receive You as my Savior and Lord. Thank You for forgiving my sins and giving me eternal life. Take control of the throne of my life. Make me the kind of person You want me to be. Amen. So that's a presentation that you could do on a napkin in four to five minutes and I think accurately explain the problem and the solution, right? It's an opportunity for you to say, hey, I was healed at a clinic. I think you got the same thing I got. Here's how I was healed, right? And then it's up to them to decide. There's no reason to twist arms or anything like that. You could still be their friend, and I would suggest you do. Don't make friendship you know, the, the, don't make friendship based on whether they receive Christ or not. Just be a friend, you know. I mean, all right. So there we are. There we are. Right? So we have to deserve to, we have to have a right to be earn, heard, and we have, to, we have to be ready or understand the team and be ready to give an answer. So we'll, we'll go through three more of these. Three fingers. Three more of these in the weeks to come and they'll be different and you'll say one of them I like that one better fine it all depends on who you're dealing with and what they're struggling with and you'll find some of these are, are better for you or not um and uh I pray that you would use these tools and because like I said we have a lot of people in our community right now that are right here they they know the cross is there but when you start talking to them about trusting Christ and making him lord and savior and being born again they go oh that's just too much that's too far and and see that just shows they don't understand the gospel and more than that they don't understand their their sickness their disease you know all right would you stand with me we're going to sing here in a minute now i know small groups are going to be using this material later on they're going to talk about this But it may be that you're going to be at a Super Bowl party and you're not part of a small group or your small group's not meeting tonight and you're just going to... And I just want to give you a challenge, all right? So here's what I want you to do. I want you to think about ways that you can turn a conversation and and get to the spiritual dimension of a person's life. So begin by just asking questions, getting to know them. One of the best questions you can lead with is, have you lost weight? (laughs) because <laughs> nobody's going to deny that right no one's well yeah well maybe you know but they're never gonna say no i gained 20 pounds you know well i'll pray for you but you know at, <laughs> you know maybe something like well what goals have you set for this year or, or you know how you know and and what i've found is when you begin to ask questions a thread will kind of show itself and then that's an opportunity for you to you know to to Maybe connect with that person. And I'm not, you know, I doubt it's going to be with a complete stranger. I think it's going to be with somebody you already know. And turn that conversation to a spiritual conversation. Just say, God, I, I, I don't know where they're at. They may be at a minus five, and I can help them be a minus four. Or maybe even take them to a minus one. Or maybe even take, but use me, God, use me this week to do that. Amen? All right, let's sing.